Uh, my name is Alice, and today's scripture comes from 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. Uh, please follow along in your own Bibles or above me in the screen. 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 6. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is a testimony given at the proper time. This is the reading of God's word. Uh, well, welcome again. Uh, my name is Eugene, as I mentioned before. Uh, Pastor Jay is feeling a little under the weather, so if you could give him some prayer too for that. But happy Father's Day uh, for those uh, who are fathers here or if we are honoring a father. Just wanted to mention that. I know oftentimes Mother's Day gets all the glory, as it should, but just hey, shout out to the dads here. Um, but really excited to be here to give you uh, the word. If you were here last week, we just started a series in the book of First Timothy. And the whole point of this series is to see um, Paul is speaking, and sorry, not speaking, but writing to Timothy instructions on how to be a good shepherd, a good young pastor. And what we want to do is to take that and to believe we are all priests and pastors here in one way or another, if you are a believer, and, and find out, well, what does it mean for us as a church, individually and communally, to be a shepherd, to care for those around us? And as we just read, Paul finally gives his first instruction to the church and to Timothy of saying, hey, if you want to be a good shepherd, if you want to be a good pastor, this is what you're supposed to do. He says, first of all, I urge you to pray. And I want to ask you, uh, if I bring up the words thoughts and prayers to you, what comes up in your mind? You know, if we live in America, you've probably heard that phrase overused often by political leaders um, after some sort of tragic event. Oh, thoughts and prayers to the families and loved ones and the victims. And I don't want to speak to the genuineness or disingenuineness of those leaders, but I think because it's been out there so long and often an overused cliche at times, um, we as a culture might be averse to the idea of even praying. I remember after Uvalde, um, there was a certain politician where you looked up his Twitter feed and you would see that after every mass shooting, it was the same tweet. Thoughts and prayers, thoughts and prayers, thoughts and prayers. And this New York Times op-ed author wrote this about the idea of praying. You have a right to your thoughts and prayers, and you also have the right to remain silent on them. Uh, if, I'm, if I'm honest, uh, that I think captures many of our ideas and thoughts and feelings and almost scoffing at prayer, even to those who believe in Christ. That because prayer has been used often as a cliche, as something just like, hey, let's just, something happened, let's pray. And almost as a throwaway, we've downplayed the power and importance of prayer. But what I want to focus on is this. Although the world may use prayer to virtue signal and to gain things for themselves, our call as shepherds, 
You know, God is calling all of us here, whether you know it or not, to be a shepherd in your family, in your friend group, in your workplace, to care and minister to others. Our call as shepherds begins with a call to deep prayer. First of all, I urge you with supplications, prayers, thanksgivings for all people. That's what Paul is instructing us. Paul begins by urging the church to pray in verse 1 for all people. What does that mean? Uh, what that doesn't mean is that Paul is not expecting us to pray for every single individual on this earth, every single individual that you meet. But what Paul is trying to convey is a mindset. It, it, it's, a, it's a posture of the heart. Can you, if any particular person falls into your life, maybe it's a random coworker, maybe it's a new friend, maybe it's someone you meet at church, can you, uh, are you able to pray for them or not? Because I'm, as, as a pastor, maybe this is getting too honest, it's difficult to do so even for myself. And I think many of us have a difficulty of not just praying for other people, but we just have a difficulty with praying altogether. Prayer is a hard thing to do, and I, I don't think that's something that we need to be ashamed of, but what I want to start off with is asking, why is it so difficult just to pray? And, and, and know this, Paul understands that. That's why he says, I urge you. Because he knows, one, you're probably not doing it, Timothy. But second, I know it's hard. So Paul understands it's hard, but why is it hard? So I want to take a bigger step back. Before we even begin to pray for other people, why is it so difficult to pray altogether? And most of this is just observations of my own life. But I think this, our prayers are often, let me begin with this, our prayers are difficult to give to God because often our prayers are more structured on consuming than caring. That often our prayer life, and, and I know this as your pastor, and I might, have, I might talk about this too much, but when I ask for prayer requests, and there's nothing wrong in this, kind of, it's always about you. It's like, pray for my work, my interview, my et cetera, et cetera. And I'm not saying that's not important. But I think we have to realize this. If we only pray about ourselves, we're never going to love to pray. Because prayer is not designed to do that. Well, what is it designed to do? Well, I, I think this, the difficulty of praying for others, let alone prayer itself, it arises out of our lack of trust in anything outside of ourselves. The reason that we only pray only about ourselves, the reason why it's so hard to even pray in general is this. Deep down inside, and I'm speaking to those even who call themselves Christians, although we say and sing and meet and believe that we trust in God, something that is bigger than ourselves, something that, we, something that we cannot kind of see but we have faith in, although we say it deep down inside, I don't think we believe it. How do I know this? Well, it, if you believed that God is sovereign and that he listens to your prayers, should we not be praying all the time? And I'm, speaking, I'm not speaking as someone who does pray all the time. I'm speaking out of just self-reflection. I don't. Tao Stoughton writes this, you and I have been groomed by the post-enlightenment story of this deconstruction that doesn't trust God anymore, but has plenty of reasons to not trust people either. The result is people who find safety in pretending they don't need either one. What they tell themselves is, I can trust myself. I can guide myself. I can be enough for myself. I can speak to how that type of thinking leads you in a destructive path, but not enough time. But I want to focus on this. What this uncovers is this deeper truth that we need to confront. 
if we live only trusting in ourselves, although we say we trust in God, but if we practically only live trusting in ourselves and our achievements, we can never be true shepherds caring for other people. If you live your life only trusting in yourself and yourself only, I promise you this, you will never truly be able to care for anyone around you. It's difficult to do so because you have too much to lose if you wanna care for someone, if all you trust is yourself. But this is the beauty of prayer because prayer breaks that distrust. Prayer in itself, it's a rhythm to God. And, I, and I, I could, I, I, hopefully in the future we could do a sermon series on prayer. But even my own you know, prayer life of something that I'm trying to cultivate a little bit deeper, what I've been realizing is this. Prayer is not about telling things to God, but it's about changing my own mind and soul. Elizabeth Brunick puts it this way. Prayer is not a cosmic Christmas list. Prayer does not, quote unquote, change God. What prayer does, though, it does have the capacity to change those who pray. And I need to bake that into my mind, and I hope you can too. Because this is the thing, if prayer is just a cosmic prayer list, or Christmas list, uh, the problem is it doesn't work that way. And if you think that way and it doesn't work that way, then obviously you're not going to pray. But we got to reverse that. Prayer is not about telling God things and saying, like, God, look at what's happening. He knows. He's sovereign. Then why does he ask us to pray to him? He, pr he asks us to pray to him so that we can change our own hearts, souls, and minds. That's the reason we pray. Because this is the thing, what prayer does is, it sucks, right? Because you gotta sit down and be quiet, right? You can't be on your phone, you can't, I mean, maybe you can listen to music, but you can't really multitask when you pray. Because this is the thing, praying is just like talking to your spouse. Like, I mean, you could try multitasking when you're talking to your spouse. You're probably gonna get in trouble, right? And this is what I realized, prayer is this, it's making our theology into a practical reality. That's what it is. Prayer is saying, I believe this stuff. Well, let me live into this stuff. Let me change my life to look like this stuff. That Jesus is my Christ. Jesus is the Savior and Lord of my life. Because this is the thing. I know, uh, me and my wife have been married for a while. And I remember a couple years ago, she came to me and she was like upset. And I was like, I, don't, I did all the chores. Like I, I put the kids down. Like what more do you want from me? And I remember she came to me and she was like, I feel like we're just roommates, right? So yeah, like we, we live together, right? We're, we're roommates, right? It's like, no, I, that's the extent of our relationship. Like we, we, we do a lot of things, we care for the kids, we talk about the kids, we do chores, and, that's, and then we go to sleep, that's all we do. We don't talk. And I was so rebuked, because I was like, dang, she's right. Like, and, and this is the thing, if that happens in my marriage, and it, that might happen in your own marriage, I would argue this, that's probably happening in your spiritual life too. Because I would say this, the majority of you come out pretty regularly. I, I recognize most of your faces, right? And this is the thing, you come every Sunday, you brush shoulders with the presence of God, but oftentimes we're just roommates with God. We're just, we're just, we're just walking by, hey, you good? I'm good, let me do my stuff and you're good. What prayer does is, look, if you just come on Sunday, if you come to community groups, if you do the church stuff, great. I love it, and I hope you can do that more. But if you don't take the time to cultivate a deep, secret prayer life, 
You're just becoming roommates with God. He's not an actual person in your life. He's just someone you brush shoulders with on the daily. And let's get a little bit deeper. Well, what does Paul tell us to do then? He says, look, pray. But what does he say? He doesn't say pray about yourself. Let me read verse 1 again for us. First of all, then I urge, remember he's, he's urging us, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. What is he telling us here? Um, I believe, oh my gosh, this never happens, but my iPad just crashed. Um, can I do this by memory? I think I can. Um, let me see if this still works. There we go. Oh no. Whatever, I'll try and do this by memory if this is able to reset. Um, for us, many of us, when we, when we pray, we only pray about ourselves. And what happens is this, when you only pray about yourself, if that's the only prayer life that you have, it's not gonna work because prayer is not, to, is not designed to just be about yourself. Because this is the thing, for many of us, if, if you're like me, you're gonna realize this. When your soul is fixated only upon yourself, your own life, your own duties, your own things, your soul becomes very self-centered and vain. And, when, and this is the thing, when we pray, prayer is designed not just to be about yourself, but it's about changing who you are. That's why Paul says this, if you wanna care for other people, the first thing he tells us to do is not to do actions. What does he tell us to do? First of all, I urge you to what? To pray. Because he understands you can do all the things for people, but the, the, the energy's gonna run out. But if you pray for others around you, if you pray not just for yourself, but for those in your family, in your church, in your community group, then you will have the deep passion and energy to finally actually care for them. And I'll argue this, the times that you do pray, when is the last time you prayed for someone outside of yourself? Because if I'm, if I'm honest, it's very rare. It's very rare because we're all self-centered people. It finally reset, so let me, let me find where I'm at because I was just spitballing right there. Um, this is the very reason we failed to build a rhythm and love for prayer. Prayer is not designed to be changing things in your own image. Prayer is designed to change your life into the image of God. You know how I know this? It's Father's Day. Uh, if you are a parent, if you're lucky and blessed to be so, you know this. And I'll be honest, like on the pulpit, I think Jay and myself, we, we, we give parenting a bad rap. Like we complain about it a lot, right? And, and dude, parenting is it's hard, okay? So like, you know, even yesterday was Father's Day, or today's Father's Day, and I told my wife, the only gift, don't buy me anything. The only gift I want is I just want to play golf with church people on Saturday, right? And I got to do that. It was great. It was the greatest gift I've ever received in my life, second to Jesus, right? And I got to do that. And I'm coming back home and I'm texting her like, you know, I'm in, a good, or like, I'm in an okay mood because I played an okay round. But I text her like, you know how are the kids? Terrible, right? It's like, oh. And I call home and they're just like running around like crazy. I'm just like, oh, I have to go to dinner. I'll be, I'll be right back. And I just says like, oh. So, uh, parenting is hard, okay? It's really hard because kids suck the energy out of you, right? Dad's Father's Day. I can, I can, it's Father's Day. I can complain about this, right? We know this, right? But you'll know this. You, you, everyone has a friend that like before did not have their life put together, right, was like lazy, like did not wake up on, I'm just describing myself, did not wake up on time, right? And all of a sudden, they're like, I gotta sleep at 8 p.m. because I know tomorrow my kids will drain the life out of me. I gotta start eating healthy, right? I gotta start working out, right? 
And what happens? All, all of a sudden, parents change their whole life. Why? It's not that parenting is some magical like, gift that once you become a parent, like, oh, your life is set. It's because finally, for the first time in your life, you have to look at something other than yourself and care for that thing. And that changes you for the better. And what Paul is asking us to do is the same. Through prayer, you, you realize you become a, a spiritual parent to those around you. Because, let's be honest, like, people suck, right? People suck. Your friends suck. Your spouse at times can suck. Your parents can suck. It's, it's a broken world. But what prayer does is this. When you pray for others consistently, you're going to find out it's impossible to pray for people consistently and hold on to bitterness or indifference. When you consistently pray for others, it changes you. That's why Paul says, pray for all people. Build a rhythm of prayer for those around you. I don't need to tell you to pray about yourself. You're very self-centered. You're going to do that. Don't worry, right? But you need to fight to build a rhythm to pray for those around you, to pray for your neighbor. Like, I'm not talking about, like, a theoretical neighbor. Pray for your literal neighbor, right? Pray for your, those in your family. Pray for those in your community group, your coworkers, the people you love, the people you hate. And, and two things will happen when you do that. You will build a deeper trust and love for God because you will realize, man, praying for people, one, you're going to realize this is hard to do, but second, your heart will increase of like, man, these people are broken. And the only thing you're going to have to fuel that is God. So as you pray for others, your love for God will increase. But secondly, as you pray for others, your heart will soften to those around you. You know, when you only pray when you feel like it, nothing's going to change. Because if you only work out when you feel like it, your body isn't going to change. You've got to make it a habit, a rhythm, something you fight for. And when you pray for others, I promise you, your life will change for the better. And, but let's do this. Not only does Paul ask us to pray for generally those around us, but all of a sudden in verse 2, he switches up. He specifically asks the church in Timothy to pray for those in leadership and in power. Why so? One, I have no idea. I'm just following the text. But two, I, I think what Paul is trying to get at is this. Hey, look, pray for others because it will change you. But you got to pray for specifically people in leadership. Political leadership, in your work, in your family, maybe even in this church. And the reason why is this. Three things. First is this. Um, we, uh, Jay talked about this a little bit last week. Uh, we live in an era where the cult of personality is dominating. So meaning, leaders and figures are no longer people who lead, but they're, they're kind of branded as saviors. Right? So Jay talked about this pre-tech or pre-COVID, like Elon Musk was gonna change the world. Right? Elizabeth Holmes was gonna save healthcare. Um, you know, Mark Zuckerberg was gonna bring people together. Those three people have all done this, the opposite, right? And why is that? Because human leaders will always fail at one point. And, and, and I don't want to get too political, but even look at the political atmosphere. It has become almost religious on both sides. But if you look, again, I don't want to get too political, but if you look at Donald Trump's camp and his people, it's almost religious. They view him, I've seen an image of him being like drawn as a Messiah of Jesus, right? Why is that? 
because deep down inside, people are desperate for a savior. And what, what Paul is trying to tell us is this. You need to pray for your leaders, one, to check yourself, to remind yourself that no human being will save you, that your ultimate trust should be from God. Praying for these leaders, whether it's political, whether it's in your work, or even, even this church, even this church, it reminds us of our true savior, that no human can replace, that Christ is king in our hearts. But second is this. I think Paul is telling us to pray for kings and people in high positions of power, basically political leaders for a reason, because politics matter. So re remember this. The whole point of 1 Timothy is, Timothy, I want you to care for other people around you. I want you to be a good pastor. I want you to be a good shepherd. And, and, and in so doing, he tells you know, Timothy and the people, pray for kings and all who are in high positions, and very key in verse two, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life. That we may lead a peaceful and quiet life. What he's saying is this. Um, political decisions and leaders and laws, especially not just nationally, but locally and the state level, they matter. But maybe not for us. right? Because I'll be honest, we live in a beautiful bubble. You know, the Bay Area bubble. Let me be honest. For all the debates that we've had from 2016 to now, we've had two presidential elections, right? Donald Trump was elected. Joe Biden was elected. And I remember people on both sides were saying, if the other person gets elected, the world's going to burn, right? Donald Trump was elected. President Joe Biden was elected. Let me be honest. Has anything changed in your life for the last seven years? Like, not much. Right? Because this is the thing, we live, is, I, 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 I don't want to get too general, but most of us here live in a bubble where politics do not matter. It's more of a coffee discussion. Right? It's more of like, a, oh, let's, let's, get a, let's get into a philosophical debate of which candidate is better. But deep down inside, it does not matter much for us. But I'll tell you this, it does matter for other people. For others who cannot live a peaceful and quiet life. What Paul is telling us is this, the reason he's calling us to pray for political leaders is to make us cognizant, to make us aware of political issues that may be outside of our own comforts but affecting the peace and quiet of others around us. For example, um, homelessness in the Bay Area, especially in San Francisco, is a big issue. Uh, most of you know that. And I would, I would even dare say most of us avoid San Francisco often because of that now. And I'm speaking mainly to those who say they profess their faith in Christ. When's the last time you prayed for that? I'm being honest for myself. Very rarely, maybe none. I don't even know what the laws are. I don't even know what the, the, you know, the solutions are. I have no idea. All I know is like, oh, that's a problem. I see post about it. Like, oh, that's crazy. And that's all it leads me to. If we're called to be true shepherds, we have to be aware of what's going on around us. Praying for leaders, it, it secures our ultimate trust in God. It, it reminds us that politics matter. But lastly, when we pray for leaders, and, and political leaders in, in particular, it reminds us that prayer is activism. Prayer is activism. Um, I've mentioned this before, but you know, we, we live in an era where prayers have become more of a public relations tactic than an actual reality, right? People just use prayers like, oh, something happened, oh, let me pray for you. And this is the thing, our, our apathy about prayer, it may uncover not a disbelief in prayer, 
but failure to see God as the true judge of this world. Because this is the thing, uh, you know, in 2020, uh, June, when George Floyd was murdered, and I remember everyone, all of a sudden, and for, for right reason, became socially conscious. You know, if you remember, it was Blackout Friday, everyone posted that black square, um, everyone posted hashtag BLM, and even recently, with a lot of Asian hate crimes, especially as a mainly dominant Asian American church, a lot of our church members have also been more aware of that too, and that's a good thing. But I want to press a little bit deeper. Um, it's very easy in this era to post about social issues. It's very easy to post hashtag BLM in 2020. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I did it too. But I would ask you this. When you posted that, did you also pray Black Lives Matter? Because I'll be honest, I don't think I did. And why is that? You know, in Matthew 6, um, Jesus tells us to pray in secret. He says, don't pray in public, pray in secret. Pray in a secret place so that no one can hear. And I always wonder, like, why, why is Jesus telling us to do that? And I think this, because prayer, true prayer, I'm not saying fake prayer. You know, we've all done fake prayer before, right? It's like, oh, I'm praying, but really, like, you're just, like, thinking about something else. But when you're in true prayer, the only person that knows is you and God. And I will tell you this, when you're in true prayer, your true heart comes out. You know what I'm saying? Like, what you really care about comes out. Look, it's easy to post stuff. It's, it's easy to, to because it's, it's, it's socially acceptable to do so now. But are you praying that stuff you post? That's what Paul is asking us. I'm not. And I need to build a rhythm to do so. When no one is watching, where truly is your heart? Prayer is an indicator of that. That's why Paul tells us to pray for kings and all of our high positions. But as we pray for others, as we pray for leaders, let me end with this. Paul asks us to cover all of that in thanksgiving. Like I know it seems very disjointed, like, don't blame me. That's the text I got. Blame Paul, okay? But this is how Paul ends. He says this. In verse 1, um, you know, it, I might have mentioned this before too, but when you write in Greek, there's no punctuation marks. There's no italics. There's no way to bold. The only way you can place emphasis is by ordering the words differently. And usually, for, you know, for any author, for, for them to end a, a list of things with something, it's kind of a bold. And if you look at verse 1, um, one thing Paul tells us is this. First of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions. So pray for other people. And then he ends, and thanksgivings be made for all people. And thanksgivings be made for all people. What is Paul telling us? Paul is telling us this. Um, we live in a very cynical world. And it's very, it's very easy to be cynical. It's actually very fun to be cynical. Me and my wife, we're very, we, we bond over our cynicism, right? Like when we're driving, we're always like, oh, that person is horrible at driving. Yeah, you're right, you're right, right? And we feel like very close. Something's wrong with us, right? Um, but what Paul does ask us to do is the reverse. He tells us, can you cover all of your prayers for others and leaders in high positions with thanksgiving, with a thankful heart, with a grateful heart? I'll tell you this, life as a Christian in Ephesus for this time, it wasn't the best of lives. Right? It's a new religion. You're, like, Paul's writing to the first people to follow Christ. Imagine your neighbor is like, hey, I just joined a new religion, and I think this guy came back from the dead. Do you want to join? You'd be like, I, I'm not talking to you again, right? That's the life that they're living. 
And Paul says, even in the midst of that social suicide, live with thanksgiving. Why so? Paul even, when you look at Paul's life in Acts, he's thrown into prison. Like who's thankful to be wrongfully thrown in prison? And yet he is so thankful in prison that the jailers who jailed him turned to Christ. Why so? I think what Paul's telling us is this. We are designed as human beings to live thankfully. We are designed as human beings to live thankfully. And if we don't, we're living out of step with God's design. You know how, you, you know how I know this? You, you just look it up on Google. You look up thankful person longevity. There are so many studies, literally, about how your physical, emotional, and your long-term life increases if you live thankfully. What is that telling us? We are designed as a physiological human being to live thankfully uh, as people. But the problem is this, in the Western world especially, we're only thankful when the circumstances align. When we say, oh, I feel like I'm thankful, so then I'll be thankful. But that's false. Yeah, there's a great um, poet from North Carolina by the name of Jermaine Cole, also, also a hip-hop artist by the name of Jay Cole. Um, he has a song it's always stuck with me, where the, the hook of the song is, ain't no such thing as a life that's better than yours. And I was like, like, J. Cole, like, you're a millionaire. Like, of course. Ain't no such thing as a life that's better than yours, right? But in the song, what he says is like this. Anyone who struggles, and he's like, I've been there. You have to remember, ain't no such thing as a life that's better than yours. And it's always stuck with me. I'm like, why is that? Why? I think it's biblical. Because I'll, I'll tell you why. Arthur Brooks um, He's a Catholic writer. He puts it this way, and I'm going to uh, make this quote a little bit different. He writes this, Gratitude isn't a feeling that materializes in response to your circumstances. It is a practice. A thankful heart doesn't just come about in your life. It's a practice. And I would put it at Paul, I think we'll put it a little bit deeper. I think he would agree. He would say, Gratitude isn't a feeling that materializes in response to your circumstances. It's a practice of prayer. The reason we're called to pray for others, the reason we're called to pray for people in high positions is so that we can cultivate a thankful heart. Praying is saying, I'm not going to allow my circumstances to dictate the gratitude of my soul. But I'm going to allow my faith in Christ to dictate my gratitude, the gratitude of my soul. And I'll tell you this, like it's, look, um, I want to be very careful here. Some of you are living difficult lives, and you might hear that, and you're like, you have no idea what I'm going through. I don't. I don't. And I, I don't mean to belittle your position. Like, maybe you lost someone. Maybe you lost a job. And you're like, I have nothing to be thankful for. And I'll, and I'll tell you this. Paul understands that, too, but Paul has also lost everything. Um, Paul has lost his former life, probably his family and friends, by turning to Christ, and yet he still says, I'm thankful. What is he thankful for? Well, he says, he continued on in verse 4. He says this. Uh, well, verse 3, sorry. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. The first thing he wants to remind us is this. It's thankful people that can change the world. There's enough cynical people out there, right? And cynical people, like if you know someone that's really cynical always, and it's not a joke, but they're like cynical to the core like me, like you don't want to be around them because they suck, Right? Like, my wife always reminds me of that. Because every situation you give me, I can, in one second, I'll be like, uh, let me give you the worst case scenario, right? So my wife will always be like, oh, you know, I met someone at church, and we had a really good time, coffee. I'm like, she's probably going to leave in a year, right? She's probably going to get a new job. She's like, why would you say that? I'm like, am I lying? Like, it's going to happen, right? She's like, don't say that. 
right? But my, my wife's the same too, right? But like, you know, when we're driving and someone cuts me off, he's like, honk at them. I was like, oh, we're like, you're such a hateful person. Like, why would you do that, right? Anyways, what I'm saying is when, when cynical people, like no one wants to be around them, but everyone knows someone in your life where they're just always grateful and thankful. Like always, no matter what's happening. What do you want? You always want to be around them. What Paul is saying is this, thankful people, when you fight to be thankful, that's how we can change the world. That's how you can point people to Christ. There's no way a cynic can say, look at my savior and how the world sucks. There's no way that can happen. What Paul's saying is you have to be thankful to point others to Christ. And if you have nothing, and when you think, like, I have nothing to be thankful for, well, verses five to six, and I'll end with this, gives us the most important thing to be thankful for. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is a testimony given at the proper time. I'll say this, and we always end with this here at Trinoth usually. If you have nothing to be thankful for, I understand, but the beauty of the gospel is this. It invites you to, be, to hold on to something, no matter what happens, that you can always be thankful for. That Christ has mediated for your sins with his own body and given up his life so that you can have new life even though you continue to live in rebellion. And, and let me first speak to those who you know, are Christians. They'd be like, I've heard that before. Let me get on my phone. I'm like that too. If our response is that, then we have not, we've forgotten the news. There's no way that can happen. Uh, you know, it's kind of died down, but you know, back in the day, every 10 years, there'd be like a marriage renewal where like, it would be like a whole ceremony happening. And I'd always be like, well, why do you do that? Like you're already married, right? But now as a married person, I get it. Right, because you know, I, I even officiated a marriage recently, and you know, you say like, "Till death do us part." But like two years, like, "Oh, I, I want to part. I want to part." Right? But we do those renewals because why? Because we forget so easily. And if we forget even in our marriages, how easy is it to forget it in our spiritual union with Christ that He's given us everything? And for those who are skeptical of the faith, this is what Christ offers you. Something to be thankful for amidst all things. So thankful that you are now called to be caring for other people. Be courageous enough to be thankful in a cynical world. Fight for it as you look for the cross. And I promise you, you will see more of God and more of contentment.